Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the second installment in my Matrix movie review series leading up to the brand new Matrix Resurrections. Today I am reviewing The Matrix Reloaded. This is your host, Corbin. Well, as I noted in your guide to The Matrix Reloaded, which was released last week, go ahead and check that out. It's the first link in the description below. It'll tell you all you need to know about how that film came to be, why it was an unusually long production time between films. Audiences had to wait over four years to get the sequel quite a long time quite you know a lot of advancements in technology also was the reason audiences were also more accustomed to their video games you know you got the playstation 2 and you know the xbox had come out by this point i clearly was not uh, watching the matrix at this point why do you ask was i not watching the matrix films well i would have been a little over eight years old at the time, so not old enough to watch this film, nor even be interested in it. It's technically the longest in the franchise at 138 minutes. Um, it's really about the same running time as the first film. It is rated R. It has a ton of more action. Maybe not necessarily more violence. Maybe it does if you want to include that with action. But it does have some more adult content, including a sex scene. So they're really up the ante on this one over the first film. So I came to this film, you know, much later in life. I was an adult by that point. Um, I had already watched the first Matrix film. And then I got the trilogy on Blu-ray around Christmas time a number of years back. And I watched all three of them in a row with my dad. We took that Christmas break. I was off of college and that's when I watched these films and I have not returned to Reloaded or Revolutions ever since. So this is my first time coming back to it in a number of years. But if I was old enough to see Reloaded in theaters at the time, would the trailer get me in? You know, the trailer says we're bigger, we're badder, you know, blatantly so, you know, I'm in. I'm in. It shows off way too much action once again, just like the first trailer did. But I would be excited to go see it, especially since I thought the first film was great. Very excited to see what they could do with the next one, especially since, you know, I would be four years older at the time. So yeah, I would be more mature. I'd be ready to maybe dig into the philosophical stuff a lot more. Um, the trailer doesn't really focus too much on what the story will be. It somewhat talks about it. Um, the trailer music is pretty bad, though, pretty much of its era. But nevertheless, I would try my best to catch this one in theaters. Maybe opening weekend, um, especially since they made me wait so long. I might be there, but it might be one of those things where it kind of puts me off. And I'll like, eh, I'll, I'll wait and see what the reviews are when they come out, uh, which were pretty positive at the time. Well, listeners, if you have not seen The Matrix Reloaded, I am about to spoil it rotten. So it is streaming on HBO Max. It's available 
Blu-ray digital in 4K. So go ahead. Um, lots of options to check this one out. If you don't want to spoil it for you, so go ahead and click pause. Go ahead and watch the film unless you don't care about spoilers or if you've already seen it. And then come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. All right. I got to say, I kind of have a test. When it goes, when it's about an action movie, whether it's a trailer, a scene in a movie, if it gives me chills, then I know they're doing something right. Good chills, not, you know, bad chills, not cringe chills, anything like that. The opening of this action gives me chills. It's very interesting. It's Trinity. Uh, we really have no idea what's going on. It seems kind of choppy, but that's because it's a vision. Neo has the sight now. He has a vision of Trinity's supposedly death. She is shot. She's seemingly falling to her death. And this is interesting because this is actually the opposite of the end of the last movie, where Trinity seems to know that Neo might die. And she kind of, we kind of have this reverse sleeping beauty. She gives him the kiss that kind of somewhat resurrects him, brings him back to life. So already right off the bat, I'm intrigued to see where they're going to go. Clearly, Neo and Trinity have fallen in love. They're much more of an item. And the one big thing that this movie does right is that it opens up the world more, particularly the real world. We come to find out Morpheus isn't in charge. We get to see Zion. It isn't this glorious heavenly kingdom city like it's depicted in the Bible. It is this underground world. It's vast. It's sprawling. I, I really like the design of Zion, actually. Um, it's interesting because the human world, while still technologically advanced, it's supposed to be like the year 2200, something like that. It seems to have reverted to more of this kind of primitive tribal mindset. And that's going to be a problem we'll talk about here in a minute. But, you know, the world building is good in this one. You know, you come to find out the Oracle is actually a program from the machine world. That was a big surprising moment I had completely forgotten about. And of course, tapping into like this biblical Armageddon, this final war, that is also talked about here in this movie. So within the first act, they're doing a good job of building up this world, exploring a different side of it more that we just really didn't see heavily contrasted between the real world and the Matrix world and all around the action in this film is superbly choreographed. Um, it is very exciting. Oftentimes, this action is just awesome to behold uh, until it goes on for too long, but I'm about to get to that. But Keanu does a lot more in this one than he did last time. Last time, he had just undergone some surgery, so he was limited with his movements, but he really does a lot more. Hugo Weaving brings it as well. Get to see Morpheus do some more fighting. So everybody's, as far as the action goes, is given a lot more to do. Now, some of my biggest disappointments with this film is some of these action scenes are ridiculously long. In fact, that's actually some bad stuff, but I'll get to that here in just a second. I think one of the probably most memorable things people think of when they see this movie is the Agent Smith fight. It's called... Um, the brawny brawl, something like that, some some kind of weird name like that, where it's Neo fighting like a couple hundred Agent Smiths. It is cool, but after a certain point, it gets to be ridiculous. I clocked it at 10 minutes. Um, 
One of the questions I'm asking throughout the fight is why doesn't Neo fly away? Since clearly he's not winning. Clearly he can't stop Agent Smith, which is an interesting idea. Neo freed Smith, but they don't really do a whole lot with it. Um, seems to be setting up more so for the third film. After a while, it becomes purely CGI, which is something that I talked about in your guide to The Matrix Reloaded. Of course, the fight ends by Neo flying away. He can't defeat him, so it kind of all feels for naught. It really just feels like they're just, you know, flexing their, you know, technical prowess at this point, kind of opening audiences up to what this stuff could be like coming to their, you know, home entertainment consoles or what films could do. I mean, I don't find it very appealing. It's literally like watching a video game. I'd, I, it's much, much better to watch the real people do it. Um, one of the other things is the internal politics in the real world aren't all that appealing. It's few and far between talking about, you know, Commander Locke and this council and how they're all worried about the machines or tunneling to Zion and only Neo, only the one can stop them and the counselor believes in it. There's no real sense of urgency to this, especially when action scenes go on forever in a day. Um, it seems like they just have all the time in the world to fight and run around and question people. And the internal politics are honestly kind of a drag. Um, I mean, I'd rather go watch the internal politics of the Phantom Menace for Pete's sake. This stuff is so takes so much of a backseat, whereas they really kind of set Zion up as more of a you know primary within the first act. It's confusing to see it you know disappear and just pretty much fall off the map throughout the second and third act. Some of the ideas like the Merovingian, um, I've seen this better done in future sci-fi films like Tron Legacy, which I just recently reviewed. That link is below to my review. It's done better in that film. Uh, Michael Shannon's caster slash Zeus feels to me very much like the Merovingian, like a program that, you know, knows more than its own good and is still very dangerous and can cause a lot of damage. Um, the Merovingian's henchmen are weird, but they're kind of cool. Um, Merovingian himself doesn't serve a whole big purpose, except that he has locked up the key master. At, after a certain point, you feel like you're trapped in a Kingdom Hearts video game. Um, it gets so kind of convoluted and you come to find out the Wachowskis really aren't interested in any of this stuff whatsoever. They just want to showcase their action sequences and also, um, orgy dance numbers. I checked about 30 minutes into the movie, there is this awful orgy dance sequence where the members of Zion are just going to cut loose. It's apparently the end of the world, and they don't mind getting some STDs, apparently. It's not good. It goes on for way too long. It's intercut with Neo and Trinity having their, you know, love-making scene. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable especially because of how long it goes on. Um, this movie also has plenty of philosophical diatribes. It's like one every 30 minutes. You just get to hear these people go on and on about, you know, philosophy, especially Neo's talk with the architect. I remember the my first watching of that, I couldn't track with it whatsoever. And, and even with this watching, I think a lot of viewers will be checked out by this point because the fight on the highway, the the um, Merovingian fight, if that's what you want to call it, with the twins, that is crazy long. 
that is at least 20 minutes long, a 20 minute long sequence, if not longer. It's really, at that point, it really was testing my patience. And ultimately, I had lost any interest in where this movie was going because it's too long. Now, for a first experience, I think it's exciting. But I do remember on my first watching, I was checking my watch. I was really kind of like, all right, let, let's get on with it. You know, you cannot sustain an action sequence this long forever. It really doesn't work. Ultimately, that's just one of the things that this film just does so wrong is it takes the action from the first film while cranking it up to an 11. It just goes on forever. So this film really could have used some editing. The Wachowskis, I think, had carte blanche. Warner Brothers said, you guys, you know, created this incredible IP. You go for it. You make two and three back to back. You know, we'll give you $300 million for the films. It, it shows they don't know how to properly edit this film together. I think there is a good cut of The Matrix Reloaded, but the theatrical cut we get is meandering and messy, unfortunately. The Matrix Reloaded is bigger and badder. Yes, I, I mean that. Badder than the original. Boasting large action set pieces, drawn-out philosophical diatribes, and a needlessly excessive runtime, there's a great cut of the second installment somewhere to be found in here. Unfortunately, the Wachowskis were given carte blanche, so it's pretty obvious they were more obsessed with upping the ante than keeping their focus on telling a coherent story. I know this one was fairly well-received at the time, but looking at it from a 2021 perspective, it really felt like watching a video game. So much of what's played out on screen would shortly become mainstream in the home video game console. I found myself hankering for my PS4 controller. I wanted to be an active participant. I wanted to be Neo, kicking and punching and flying around, instead of just a passive observer watching the video game version of himself twirl around as he knocks Agent Smith over like dominoes. You know, after the second watching, it made me realize that, you know, one watching of this film is good enough. You know, maybe watching two minutes of each action scene and skip through it if you're looking for a more streamlined version. Because come on, the internal politics of Zion aren't interesting. I never feel the urgency of the machines breaking through, and Neo's fetch quest almost loses coherency. It seems like the Wachowskis envisioned Matrix 2 and 3 as one film similar to Back to the Future Parts 2 and 3. It remains to be seen until next week whether they create one super story. The Matrix Reloaded receives 5 stars out of 10, with a mild not recommend. Well, listeners, as you know, I do already own this one on Blu-ray. It came as a 3-piece collector set for 10 bucks. I couldn't pass that up. So, you know, while who knows if I'll ever return to this one again, I'm not sorry that I own it. Other film recommendations that I have, 2003, we were introduced to Kate Beckinsale in Underworld, a film that clearly took some inspiration as far as costume design goes and probably some action. Underworld is much more exciting, you know, if I would have been in, living back in 2003 at the adult age to go see an R-rated movie, I would have been much more interested in the progression of the Underworld film saga with the first Underworld film than with where The Matrix was going after this. I'm also going to be recommending The Last Samurai that also came out in 2003. That's another one about a, you know, 
stranger in a strange land coming to, you know, save these last people of a kind. Somewhat of a similar-esque story. Um, I really like that Tom Cruise movie. It's uh, good. So, five months and 21 days later. Yeah, you, you heard that right, listeners. Summer blockbuster time and then Christmas time. We got The Matrix Revolutions. A crazy turnaround for a third film. I, honestly, I can't think of anything where that's quite been done before, where the second film comes out in the summer and the third film comes out in the winter during that Christmas, you know, big movie season as well. Like I said, Back to the Future's parts two and three were about six months apart, but they did. Uh, I believe part two was 89, part three was 90, I believe you can look that up. Um, but nevertheless, that did span into the next year, not within the same year. Weird idea. I, I'm always shocked whenever I remember looking at this up that two and three came out with within less than half a year of each other. Well, listeners, the question after the show is, is The Matrix Reloaded a letdown? Clearly, you know my answer. It's a yes, but I'm curious to know, what do you all think? Is it a letdown? You can send me your answers at silverscreenguide95 at gmail.com, and I will read them on the show. Curious to know what all of you think. Now, of course, you can also tweet, Facebook, comment on the a YouTube review as well. There is a lot of different avenues. All of that is in the description below. So make sure to follow me and Alan on Letterboxd. Uh, we do have timestamps. We do have a ton of great stuff. The Patreon page is all down there for you to check out. Well, listeners, thank you for joining me on my review of The Matrix Reloaded. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast because next week I will be back to sort of cap off the trilogy i guess you could say with except we got this new film i'll be back to cap it off with the matrix revolutions Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. 
The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.